Namaste. Though it is named as study session, I would rather aspire that it becomes like a collective yagna, which is what it is. So we all bring our heart's aspiration at the altar of the Divine Mother. And this being a very special year, because this uh, coinciding of Shurbindo's 150th birth anniversary and the 75th anniversary of India's independence. So we all bring our aspirations, offer it at the altar of the Divine Mother, so that India and the world may progress towards their true destiny. And it is here that there lies the importance of India. India is not just a nation with, which has somehow formed, another country which has formed like so many other countries. If you look at the way India is formed geographically, just geographically, all else comes later. So we'll see that way back, if we go back into uh, that state when there was only one landmass surrounded by water. And as it is said that there will be a time when again there will be only one landmass. It's a very fascinating thing. And then these land masses started breaking into two pieces, three pieces, four pieces, five pieces. And then there was a lot of shuffle. Lot of uh, tremendous forces were at play. Just imagine moving continents. If uh, somebody had to put a Puranic picture, we would say that Rudra was active upon, you know, in this world, pushing the land masses. You know, you read this story of uh, Hiranyaksh taking earth and drowning it underwater. So there was a lot of uh, shuffling and reshuffling going on. And during that time, we see that there is a little entity which breaks free a piece of land, as it would seem, from one side and goes to the other side, northern side, and joins there. So this drifting piece of land, which we know today as India, if you look at it, the way it is formed and it comes and joins and as it joins, the Himalayas begin to rise and they are still rising. It's not that uh, they have finished their journey upward. And so when we look at this uh, whole world on from a panoramic point of view and look at India, you will see that India looks like and even the way the whole world is formed, it is the heart of the world. That is the importance of India. Even if you look at the structure, the way India is made, it represents the soul of the world. And that is why there is a very special task which has been given to India. Each country has been given a task. And India has been given the task of tasks, if you may say so. And it is to conduct or be the leader of a grand experiment which is going on um, planet Earth since Earth began since creation began. So one way to look at Earth is that it is a grand laboratory of the divine. So what is happening in this laboratory? Mud, out of mud, plants, trees, simple animals, complex animals, human beings come and human beings aspire for something still greater, higher. So this experiment is not yet finished. It is still going on. And in this experiment... India has to play, has always played and has to play a very crucial and critical role. And that is the importance of India. Someone has very beautifully said that if India survives, the world survives. And if th this may seem like just a patriotic sentiment and just an exaggeration, just look at the factual uh, state of affairs. So today, what are the major civilizations that we see all around cultural, culturally oriented civilizations. We have, of course, the immediate past, the Western civilization, which had, which had almost, uh, as it used to be said, ki the sun never sets on the British Empire. Now people are wondering when the sun will rise on the British Empire. You know, it has shrunk into a small little piece. See, those who don't believe in the law of karma can. <laughs> so, but that apart, look at what has happened. Just immediately before, there was a Western civilization and there was a myth that it is the 
you know, best civilization. And there were many Indians who were hypnotized in this. They believed and still believe, unfortunately. See, all that you need to impress people in India still is not a degree, not a, you know, <laughs> you must know how to speak English, maybe with a little accent. And then you are through. <laughs> it's It required just a little bit of conversation to realize that, <laughs> that the person doesn't understand anything. There is hollowness inside. And yet there is this, there was this impression which was created. A very strong impression. And you see people who had followed that impression. Um, they were great thinkers in India. I won't take the names. Um, but they believed really in the superiority of the Western civilization. And among them was, one of them was of course Shurabindo's father, Krishnadan Ghosh, a very capable doctor, very generous to a default. And he felt that, well, this is not the country where my son should, my little Oru should study and grow up. He should go to the West and learn the best from the West and then come back. He had this great aspiration for his son. On the other side, there was the hub of Western civilization at one point of time. That was France. And there also, a little girl was born and whose mother aspired. My daughter should be the best. My children should be the bestest of the best. This was her aspiration. <laughs> so, so Shurabindo travels all the way, seven years of age. He came to UK. He studied, we know, he did very well. All this is well known. Uh, too well known. But when he comes back, what does he write? There are a series of letters of Shirbindo, which are not really letters written to someone, but they are letters where he has written to his other self. And he writes there, it, they are like people write anonymous letters. So it is epistles from abroad. And there Shirbindo says that how much ever you may try to convince me that there is so much glamour and glitter in the West, I can see that the whole civilization is very hollow. It is like a termite, white ants which are eating it up. There was nothing much, though it could build a huge empire, a vast empire. And yet, it was at its bottom hollow. And why was it at its bottom hollow? Literally the bottom, because its foundation was very weak. If you, Entire Western world, if you look at it, it is based around what is called in India as De Atma Bodh. The body is the self. That story of Virochan and from the Indian myth, Virochan and Indra. So both go to Brahma and they ask, tell us about the self. So Brahma says, well, very simple. You look into my eyes and see what you see. You see the self. Now you see, it's a very interesting story. So both look into the eyes and they both go back satisfied because they see their own reflection and they say this body is the self. So Virochan, as we know, is the progenitor of all the Asuric clans. And Indra says that, um, not the Puranic Indra of, you know, later on, <laughs> who, who is portrayed in various ways, but we'll come to that later. But Indra says, but I have heard that the self is stable. Stable, it's not something changing, but my body is changing all the time. So he goes back again. And Brahma tells him the same thing, you know, this something similar to the story of Varuni and Brigu, but on a different note. So he once again goes and he says, Look deeper and you see. And then he sees and he sees this entire vital world and subtle worlds, and then he says, Okay, that is the self, but that is also changing. So several times he contemplates and he looks for, ultimately he discovers that stable basis of creation. So you see, when it is said foundation, when it is said hollow, what is the basis on which you erect a whole superstructure? So I often give this example, some of us may have seen, and Shubhinda uses this in Savitri, termite city is guarded against the sun. See, ever seen a termite city, white ants, they build such lovely skyscrapers. But all that you need is, you know, they are the least welcome creatures. <laughs> so there was this myth that because there is so much glitter and glamour, this is the civilization which we all must follow. 
when Swami Vivekananda goes and comes back from the West, we can, you know, now of course India is rising, shining and it's a different story. But look at that time. So he was asked by people that, you know, you always used to say so many good things about India. Now that you have gone and seen the West, what do you have to say? Thinking that Swamiji will change his views. And here was Swami Vivekananda saying that India was always dear to my heart. But now that I have seen the West, the very dust of India is sacred to me. It's an experience that one has to have. I can recount on very personal note, my first travel to the West, to America. And after six days, my host asked me, so how are you feeling, Alokta? So I said, you ask a frank opinion. I am feeling terribly homesick. <laughs> and they felt that probably I am missing the uh, Indian food because India is among many things. Uh, food is, of course, everything in India is so wonderful. We'll talk about that. But, you know, food, you ever go to a house and, you know, you are greeted with such lovely. Uh, it's not like uh, my other encounter is going to the Western world. Okay, you have come, you ring the doorbell, and okay, fine. Um, there is bread in the fridge, please fix it up. When you wake up in the morning, <laughs> so high. <laughs> because you are used to a different kind of uh, hospitality. Of course, Indians are different, but you know, the sudden context. So, when I was coming, so they took me to a Udupi restaurant. So, in Udupi restaurant, you had nice South Indian food, everybody was Indian, and there was nice noise level was a little high. So, I'll feel very nice. Bathroom was a little dirty. So, <laughs> Like, I'll feel Indian. But that's not what I was looking for. Anyways, I kept quiet. I enjoyed the food. Uh, when I was coming back, uh, I was dozing off. And as the plane was flying from Singapore to uh, Chennai, and I remember suddenly I woke up in between and I felt, oh, I have entered the atmosphere of India. And that very moment, within a couple of minutes, the pilot announced, we are flying over the Andamans. Literally the atmosphere of India. There is something about this place which is so unique, so amazing. Now, look at the Western civilization. It developed just about, you know, a few, few thousand years. It's not that these were the roots. The roots were there. Every civilization had a mystic beginning. Every civilization. If you really go back into the depths, they had a, you know, very beautiful mystic beginning. You see the Druids, you see the Celtic civilization, Greek or Roman civilization. Egyptian civilization, such uh, wonderful mystic tendencies were there. But all over, they were as if overrun by two agencies and one was called religion and the other was called science <laughs> and they are both <laughs> trying to figure out what is this Indian civilization where religion and science coexisted and flourished together without coming in fight with each other. See, this is something very interesting. So, if we really imagine also that the world will be saved by the way by the way the West has gone, then we have now the living example of where it is likely to go. And anyway, Shurvindo went there, came back, and if you look at it from the divine point of view, so we have a lovely story in Indian mythology of Kach. Kach goes all the way to the Asuric world to learn the secrets of the Asura. He learns Sanjeevani Vidya from Shukracharya and comes back and gives it to the Devas. So, Shurbindo actually went and learned and equipped himself with what are the fault lines. And if you see, he was already prepared for what is going to follow next. So, when he comes and he starts a series of writings, as we know in first writings, as so even before he comes, 1891-92, his first writings... And he starts writing uh, about what India is and you know what it should be. 1893 again we see. And when his writing started getting published, uh, first in the Hindu Prakash, so even Indians, they felt this is too much, too strong. Please moderate, tone them down. So eventually for a few months, Shubhinder wrote and then he um, left it. Now during that time, Shubhinder took a voyage we know about his voyage coming all the way from the western to the uh, Indian uh, world, world of India. I mean, he was born in Indian, but he traveled and comes back. He took a voyage. 
So we are also told that when Gandhi ji came from South Africa, he took a voyage. But look at the difference of the voyage. So Gandhi ji went all around, traveling in third class compartment to see how people live, how people uh, to understand the ethos of this country. Shubhendu took in another another voyage, not the third class compartment, but into that which was beyond compartments. He dived himself into the Upanishads. In a way, he had already started. His first brush with the Upanishad was when he was in UK itself, and he had an experience of the self in the mind after reading a translation, very poor translation of the Isha Upanishad. So he dived into the Upanishads. He dived into what Indian thought was about. What is this magnificent country? Why it became a subject nation? And having dwelled deeply into the soul of India, not just by reading. Reading is the easier part. Much more difficult to practice. If somebody wants to understand what does the Gita mean by samatva, what does Rishi Patanjali say samatva yoga uchchati? What does he mean by that? Then all that one needs is to just read Shurabindu's life, his Baroda days, how he would wear just a very simple cloth, lie down on the mat. And when his teacher Dinendra Kumar Roy he came, he wanted to understand that well, he was expecting foreign educated person. He would probably you know be well suited, booted. This another. We have so many kinds of uh, hypnotic cobwebs inside us, you know. Same thing. When you hear somebody not only speak in English, come down well dressed with a nice suit and nothing wrong with a suit, but it has a place to. If you are living in a cold country, wear a suit and a tie, by all means. But you are living in a warm country, tropical country like India, and if you start believing, it's still there. That's why I'm pointing, because we are still so much hypnotized. Even today, the sign of a well dressed person is he is wearing a necktie. Though during the digital world, people used all kinds of shortcuts. They just wore a shirt and a tie, and they were quite comfortable inside. And now we have found a little, even greater shortcut. Because in school, when I had to wear a tie, it was one of the worst exercise for me. Every day, you know, convent and I used to dread wearing a tie. So I used to wonder, why don't they have a tie which you can just stick it out? Fortunately, somebody discovered that tie. But by then, I had all my practices of knotting a tie around my neck. I used to feel, my God, I feel I am hanging myself wearing this tie. So this kind of a thought, where just you are judged by your appearances, by the color, by the dress, by. Uh, how smartly and fluently you can speak a foreign tongue? Just imagine. So this was the situation when Shrivindra comes, and so naturally Dinant Kumar Roy was expecting what he was expecting. But he sees somebody who is living like what later on people would call Shrivindra Tyagarajan. That was his name when he was in Calcutta. What was special about Shrivindra's Tyag? The special thing about Shrivindra was of Shrivindra's Tyag was that he never made. Much ado about being a tyagi. <laughs> Remember, in Delhi ashram, somebody had come who had, you know, wouldn't wear clothes and wouldn't step on the ground. So those leaves had to be put on the feet for Swamiji to step. And he came and gave a talk. And at the end of the talk, I believe Chacha Ji Surendra Johar Ji made a remark: "Everything is very nice, but you are too attached to your detachment." True detachment is not to be attached to any mode of life, and we see that in Shurabindo. When he goes there, he is what he is. You need there a kind of dress, and he wears that. He has one coat to survive through the winters. He wears that. He has just enough money to buy a savloy and uh, a cup of tea, and he doesn't say, "My father." See, he didn't care about me. He has always the kindest word he can speak about his father. So, by his own example, he brought the Indian spirit there. He brought the all the know-how of how the English mind operates, and he showed how hollow that civilization is. Now, of course, we don't need to read all that, and we can see all this uh, barbarian Indians and the civilized Europe was. Hanging people by the neck for a small little speaking for the freedom of their own nation. So now we don't have to 
बट दिस इज इंपॉर्टेंट टू अंडरस्टैंड दैट वेस्टर्न सिविलाइजेशन हैज वेरी लिटिल लेफ्ट टू ऑफर टू इन द वर्ल्ड इट हैड इट्स प्लेस देर इज अ टाइम वेन साइंस हैड इट्स प्लेस इन ए सर्टन कंटेक्सट वेयर रिलीजन इन यूरोप हैड बिकम समथिंग विच वॉज you know it itself uh, first it was persecuted then it began persecuting so there was a need to throw it away and science came into the picture in india there was a need of contact with the west and one reason was because india had some gifts to give and they wouldn't come they came looking for spices and they went carrying the bhagavad gita so actually we see that while people came bhagavad gita for the first time was smuggled when all the booty was being smuggled by smugglers they also smuggled the bhagavad gita per chance and then the world discovered what india is then where do we turn other than that the chinese civilization again very old ancient do we really seriously believe that um, today again the roots are gone chinese civilization it's again the ancient roots are wonderful i'm not talking of shintoism and you know something still bit or confucianism which came later on like a buddhist way of life but what it has become today everything of that has gone away the mystic tendencies have been completely overpowered by what today we call as modern mainland china do we really want to develop along those lines some people uh, say that you know india should be like china another tech giant that would be the last thing it would mean killing the very hope one hope for the world and we have the third civilization i don't know whether i should even mention about it or not the mohammedan civilization that came all the way the conquest the plunder the loot the rape call it and it is there and we know what it is today and the lesser it is said the better it is and then of course we have the african civilization who had been completely um again the same mentality you are inferior i have been to africa and there are people who are still so connected with their roots in all these civilization we see something common and that common thing was lost but kept in india and i'll just come to that in a moment so in africa same problem they all said that you know we when they were narrating their stories when they're narrating their culture i said oh my god this is so similar to what india has kept always in a memory but today again it's it's uh, looking for its foundations and soul so in all this uh, turmoil all these major world forces which is the player who has always played the best shot and that we see in india if there is hope for the world it is india because it has discovered the stable basis of creation and not only it discovered the stable basis called brahman that supreme parbrahman call it by whatever names the interesting part is that it preserved the links between the stable basis and the most outward manifestations of that this is something fascinating so what i mean by that is when we look at the world we see a body of things i mean it's an outer body we see material things we see this material universe we see all this uh, um, wonderful stars in space space itself time we see the sun the moon and then we come closer towards zoom in and we see mountains and rivers and all this we see as the material universe our own body and we wonder what is this so what does indian civilization has to say about it it says it is the body of the lord virat every day if we just live with this thought this world is the body of the lord who has seen his body every day he shows us and those who are steeped in this can have still that vision you know that story of guru nanak when he saw at night the stars glittering in the sky and he says that in that thali gagan mandal mein thal birajat it's like he sees it like a huge thali plate in which countless stars like diya like those you know lamps are lit up 
It is the unseen body of the Lord on whom the necklace of stars has been woven. Which culture could ever imagine this vision? To look at the stars and see in them the necklace woven for the unseen deity. So if we look at another one of the Upanishads, it describes uh, Brahman as fourfold and this outward is the outward body. This too is Brahman, Virat. So this is the body of Brahman, if you want to put it like that. And therefore, every physical object, see because we lost this truth, every physical object carries its own divinity inside it. That's how the great Upanishad declares, Nityo Nityanam Chetana Chetananam. We lost all this because of all this confusion that took place and eventually we turned towards Mayavad, but we'll come to that a little later. So this is the outer body. In every element of creation, there is this stable presence, this stable divine presence, not just somewhere up above in the sky. It is there. So people often ask this. Sometimes they have asked me also that, you know, but, they say God's in the sky, God in the sky. He said, who gave you this impression about God in the sky? Okay, fine, he's in the sky. But you know, it is also said he's in the atoms. Now, won't you ask me, where is God in the atoms? Now, it's very simple. If you look at this stupendous dance, this stupendous movement of energy, where is it taking place? These were the thoughts that occupied those who wandered around, all around this world looking for what is it on which this stupendous dance is taking place? What is that basis on which is woven this wonderful universe? And what did they discover? All this is for the habitation of the Lord. The Lord dwells in all things. Then he says, all things means what? This thing, that thing, it qualifies. Jagat, Yam, Jagat. Each individual motion within a universal motion. Not only in the galaxies, but also in the atoms of existence. Not only in the atoms, in proton, neutron, everything that is ever spinning, moving. Gati, Jagat, Yam, Jagat. That which is moving. Within this movement, there is this stable basis, the unseen stable basis. This is the foundation of the one. And from there, how this universe is coming to connect, you know, being. So there it describes the other two layers through which creation moves. And I was just referring to that there was an intermediary link between this stable basis and the outer world, which is lost to all other civilizations, but kept preserved in India. And that link is the gods. You see, people often say, Are, how many gods? 33 crore, then people crore or koti and this and that. No need to go into that. See, why 33 crores? We have a god behind every atom of existence. Countless, infinite. So who are these gods? Gods are nothing else but powers of the one. That one is not just a basis of existence in the sense he is just a witness. He is not just, and he is described as a witness as Suryo Yatha Saru Lokasya Chakshu, who sees. But sun is not just a witness. His energy is streaming out into this universe. So all these countless aspects, his Shakti. So there are different, 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 many, many big and small Countless beings he brings out of himself. And it's because he understands, you know, that's the original model even today. Between the big CEO, a bit crude, but I'll come to that. A good company manager, okay, not just any CEO, who is the owner. And the person working on the ground level, there are several managers. So there are several cosmic managers. Gods are the cosmic managers. They are managing different aspects of creation. They are managing the motion of the stars. So we have all these, all these gods who have come as subtle beings. They are not this actual Rahu, Ketu, Neptune and Pluto. But they are subtle beings, subtle energies, which are managing a kind of motion. Surya, Aditya is not just this. He is the outer representation of another subtle truth. 
So there are gods of the mountains, gods of the rivers. Every river is a goddess to us. Every you know aspect sea is a living conscious entity. Look how we can connect with creation in such a beautiful way. So we have you know when you we hear about reclaiming land, isn't it? Now people have reclaimed lands. Even some people have created artificial islands, and we know what it means to bomb other cities and you know have the military bases. So. in pondicherry when park guest house was being built so every time they would try to erect it the wall the sea would wash away or the monsoon would come they didn't know what to do they went to the mother and mother said did you pray to the sea see we have to pray to the sea you're taking land you are asking help from the sea you must connect with the sea so they connected with the sea and then you know this wonderful place came up there is a another way we can connect with the creation so gods are not just again because we lost that truth we started um, you know in india it was not like you have to build a small little temple every object was a temple of the lord that was the original sense that there are gods operating within everything and these gods are conscious powers of the eternal and through them we can connect with the eternal so we have many many aspects here even till today which connect us with that great truth though as indians unfortunately we have lost it because on one side many of us started believing that these are all superstitions and it's not good to look superstitious so people believe but they don't in actual you know they appear otherwise so for example recently we had this thing about what savitri katha you know we have this what savitri recently we had so people go around the what bricks and then they do the savitri katha so you know people laugh at what is this what bricks and savitri and story of immortality the whole secret is given there you see what is the beauty of the bhagat what bricks what bricks is a interesting bricks it creates many of its kind out of itself and plants upon earth spreads vast shelters so many kinds of beings become as vast as that become so deep rooted that even from your being you can cast roots create new creations that's what the divine does and you have the secret of immortality so beautifully in a small little story it is symbolized but we have also lost because we went into that narrative and there are many many stories we can come to but suffice it to say for now that we can form a very conscious relation with this creation it's not that we have to go and worship the gods again we have this um, interesting puja festival in the eastern parts of india it is called chhat maiya chhat chhat puja and in chhat puja if you see women it's a very difficult fast and huh? don't try that only for experts so <laughs> they do it very well but that apart they go and whom do they pray they pray to the sun so they pick up water and when they bathe they offer it to the sun so again the same question comes are what is all this offering water to the sun don't you know that this is there is no link between the sun and the water of course now we know that there is there are very concrete even scientific links all this cycle is because quietly clandestinely sun is managing to lift up the water and creating this whole cycle but that apart it's not about science it's about there are invisible unseen links that exist in creation there is a vast interconnectedness of life we look each of us looks as separate separate different there is a line in savitri each year that seems to be its lonely self are figures of the soul transcendent one through anything we can approach the divine anything because there is an invisible link that connects us so we have this and it is narrated in the form of such story if you uh, look at the story of kedarnath you know you have those panch tirath panch kedar isn't it it's called panch kedar so you have the story of bhima chasing shiva as a bull because shiva is annoyed why you people kill the kauravas so he won't accept their prakshit <laughs> so he runs away from them and pandavas are chasing him and they finally 
catch him in the Devabhumi. That's why it's called Devabhumi. And he assumes the form of a bull. And if you look at the story, it sounds very strange. Now, then Shiva, then Bhima straddles around two hills. And he finds the bull and pounces and holds the bull. But the bull vanishes in the ground. But a portion of the bull remains. And then it keeps appearing at different places. Because Bhima is Bhima. He is not going to let go. And finally a portion comes in Kedar. Now, outwardly, if you look at it, it looks like a fantastic, just realm of the fantastic. But you look at these mountain peaks, all of them connected to Shiva in one single story. It's a way of narrating to an early stage of, and now we have to consciously reconnect. It's true that there was a stage of mankind where we had a direct connection with creation, with nature and the forces operating behind. Shubhinda calls it the typal age. But then we lost that age progressively. So where did India's decline start in the Vedic age? We see this kind of direct connection with the divine. And we'll have occasion to go into details. And if there are questions, it'll be even more wonderful. It's a very vast, we are standing before a very, very vast landscape. So, landscape, rather soulscape. So, there was an age when there was this connection with the truth of creation in every civilization, actually. Mystic tendencies we see. But they were lost. But in India, they were preserved, guarded and developed. So we see something very beautiful on one side through countless legends, stories, myths. A deep, profound truth was preserved. On the other side, there were people who picked up the essence of that, went on to realize and experience. Because they did have that faith that there is some truth in it. Let me discover. They didn't take a story and start exploring it. But they started discovering and every time they discovered, they gave it through their own unique formula. So though at the root of everything, there is one stable basis. Every religion says that. So what is great about India? It says, Ekam Sad Vipra Bahuda Vadanti. There is one, but the wise call him by different names. If you combine these two, it changes the whole perspective. Everybody says there is one God. Where is the quarrel? The kolavari happens when you say, okay, quarrel happens when you say that, yes, there is only one God, but that's my God. Exclusively my God. So, very simple. Just requires that little understanding. There is one God and the wise call him by different names. So when we look at it, such multiplicity of approaches, Catholicity of approaches. And again, each approach, the connection can be from anywhere we can establish because the bonds are there. In India, the bonds have been preserved. Those religions which became... Um, you know, monotheistic is a way of saying, I don't want to get into semantics, but they didn't believe in any, um, you know, any of the gods. They did away with God, gods. You know, there were religions which said, ha, but parasti, don't worship the gods. You know, where is the but formed? They didn't understand that buts are not formed outside, but is formed inside. Every concept is a form. The form maker is the mind of man. And there is a truth that you have to go beyond forms to that extent. There is a truth behind removing all the concepts and percepts which come between us and the one. But there is an equally valid truth that each concept and percept is like a little stair that climbs to the one or expresses the one. And this is the truth that India preserved. So you have all these chains, rungs. So when we look at this um, vast, wonderful soul scape called India, it looks like, Shubhita has used the word, like a vast, mighty mansion where there are many stairs, there are many beautiful rooms. Some places the place is chipped off, the paint has fallen, somewhere the bricks are there. But one can look at it that there is a mighty, mighty superstructure. And yet, in this great superstructure, which is crumbling at places and uh, still beautiful at places, 
still there is service offered to the unseen lord this is something which is still kept here service is offered to the unseen lord so what is needed is the key you see stairways and you wonder what is this who made where where are these stairs going oh there is a room out there where is this room you know now of course we have very nice this um campsite i'm sure people remember when earlier so we didn't know at least i used to get confused if i go this way i'll reach my room or go, if i go that way and <laughs> you ended up on the stair that okay logically you should go but then you realize that no no it doesn't work out so come back and you take that then when you discover your room it's like aha this is so wonderful i tell you you are missing that momentous discoveries now it is so easy and simple <laughs> that's your room and well it's very well organized i must say but where is that key there is a key which is missing so what used to happen you know when i used to miss my room so i would go up and i won't find my room then i would see that okay relic's room is here okay i'll go there at least do pranam since i have come here <laughs> so you see uh, this uh, key which was missing for india that key should have been the gives us and that key is with all of us and that key is within the soul when mother was asked that how can i serve india so mother gave a very fascinating reply she said find your soul first step find your soul let your soul get interested in india discover the soul of india and unite with it a program for a lifetime find the soul but then you know at some point we have to start after all how long can we be satisfied you know with surface things find your soul let your soul get interested in india discover the soul of india unite with it that is the best way to serve it why because we discover that key that india holds and it is a magic key once that key is there it not only opens one door where you see the soul of india it chills the key to all the doors that we can ever imagine so this brahman this stable basis how it is described it the shruti says kena upanishad it says if you know it you know everything else yasmin vigyate vigyati sarvam there is this fascinating story with which probably we can stop for today so that story is that narad has mastered 64 vidyas i don't know how many and which all universities he went we didn't need to go to any university takshila and nalanda were there and even before so everybody came here learned the 64 vidyas which includes everything arts and sciences and music and poetry and painting and dance and cricket and football and god knows everything so he learned but he felt something is still incomplete something i'm missing so he is roaming around in that state you see this story is so fascinating having learned everything when you feel something is missing shri ramakrishna said there are there is hope for two people one who is very simple and has no such arrogance that i know it i know it and the second who having learned everything so first he calls there is hope for two one is the unlettered peasant he doesn't know anything so he has everything to learn the other who having read and known everything yet feels that there is something bore it is incomplete for the rest the pandit and you already know if you go before god and say but you know this that he'll say okay you know a lot so narad has reached their state where having learned everything of course that's a much higher state no doubt about it as the mother says if having developed your intellect then you go into faith it is something tremendous you become a powerful instrument so narad is roaming around and sanat kumar finds him and says hey narad where are you going he says, i don't know i am i am destined to wander where are you wandering in search of something yes, i am searching something but i don't know what i am searching that's the problem everything that is possible i have learned i have been to the best of universities but still i am searching my search is not ended is excellent you are the right material 
So then he says, right material is okay, but what is it I am missing? He says, you have learned so many vidyas. Have you learned that having known which all can be known? Narad goes through, flashes in his mind, there is no such subject taught in my school. College level degree, nobody ever signed up for Brahma Vidya. Still they don't offer, no? Brahma Vidya. Thank God they don't offer it in the union. Otherwise they will make a degree also out of that. Mm-hmm. Masters in Brahma Vidya. Diploma. <laughs> Diploma. PhD in Brahma Vidya. Only he will become a Brahma Vadin who has mastered, who has got a degree. See? It's not a joke. I in Rumtek Monastery, <laughs> gang talk, I saw these nice little, little, uh, you know, children, 13, 14, who are nice dress they were wearing like a monk. So I just asked them, so what are you learning? They teach us meditation, this, that. So, okay, so what are you planning to do? I want to do advanced course in meditation. Sounds very impressive. So I said, that's fantastic. So what will you do after that? He said, no, we need to learn because only those who learned advanced meditation techniques can go to US and they can become priests there. You have those monasteries everywhere, so you need to, you know, this direct I'm telling you, I asked him. So it's not about, this is a course which is not offered by any university, cannot be offered by any university. So what was the method that India had adopted during those times? Brahma Vidya. So he says, I'll teach you. So we didn't have temples, we didn't have those places. What we had were ashrams. There were masters and they were disciples. And the disciples went to the ashrams seeking with a seeker's heart. They did not go to ashram that, okay, now I am 60. I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And Sri was asked about ashram, why you have used this word ashram? He said, I have no other better word for want of better word. I am using the word ashram, but it has different meaning than what is normally used. So it comes from shram, labor, but labor of a different kind. Shram. So Indians engaged in labor of a different kind. While people were cutting stones and building huge buildings, we were cutting blocks from within our body to find a passage from matter's body to the soul. This was another kind of labor. Tremendous labor. Perhaps easier to move the mountains than to really concentrate, concentrate, concentrate and shift that base of matter which stands like an iron door. It just won't let in. That's why when people start meditating, first thing they experience is, there is like a night. You see, it's all dark and I suddenly, if I open my eyes, at least I can think clearly. All the thoughts are coming. A whole inner world opens. But they persisted, they persisted. What beautiful descriptions they have left as trails for us. As an arrow shot in its target, so must our concentration be upon Brahman. Now you see the analogy? As an arrow shot in the target. What happens when an arrow is shot in the target? Its head is stuck in the target. And its tail quivers for a while. Before being fixed in the target, it becomes quiet. So nature and soul are one. But when that point in us, maybe the mind, the heart, the life part, anything, even the physical body, something in us should be deeply rooted in that with a fire of seeking. And then slowly you will see that nature tends to quiver for quite some time, then it will become quiet. They gave us the secret in so many ways as an arrow shot in the target. It's a wonderful image to contemplate upon. So they discovered this inward path, grappling with unseen forces. We don't know these forces. Suddenly we speak something without realizing what we are speaking and bear the consequences. Somebody, you know, even to use the word abuse is so abusive. But people use, no, ill will they throw, they so much damage we do. We don't realize, we just, oh, I felt angry so I spoke. Or the other way around. All kinds of things. What is it that makes us speak when we speak? So they contemplated on that. 
that which the speech cannot reach but that by which the speech itself is driven what is behind speech what is behind thought what is behind feelings what is behind will and impulse and action they trace the entire network and technology of creation the warp and woof and give it to us and while the world was busy exploring everything and india had to go through its own phase of decline because there was a time when we cut off we also cut off all these mediating links tried to do that and just kept that one who has to do with nothing else but somewhere within the soul of india heart of india it was preserved and therefore based on that we are beginning to once again rebuild not just india but the world we close where we began india is needed for the world we are going through a period of time when every nation is searching for its soul people mistakenly call it that right wing expansion forget right and left wing and middle wing and all this but every nation is if you see right from japan right up to americas there is this manthan going on and everybody is wondering who are we and it is taking forms outside that just an outside form but it's looking for who are we as a nation as a civilization who are we as a culture and in that discovery india has to play a key role shubindu cautioned india that if it goes the way of the west or of course the chinese way then very little will be left not only for india but for the world it may give us tremendous material success but it will be will be at the expense of the soul so when we deliberate upon what india is we must know it is for the love of the world that one should do it because india has that key and that key we are the inheritors of the key by default and this default we must turn it into a something real and living we are like those who have inherited a great treasure but we don't know what is it like treasure hunt the what is its secret meaning we have a page here we have a page there we are trying to reword that document but unfortunately to reword the document we make a mistake we go to the western critics and say can you reword it for us this to india or indians did at a point of time till shurbindo had to bring out that no this is not the secret of the vedas they misunderstood it this is the secret of the vedas even a man like you know people speak about max muller he could not understand the, that's a fact people should speak many verses he just couldn't understand so he says in parts it is very nice but there are parts which are seem like there was a mixture some primitive people that's how it came down but shurbindo for the first time gives a secret which is consistently this is the veda that we have to recover of which indian culture is the what we see is the fruits beautiful fruits and flowers not knowing where that source is so over the next few days we will explore that 